Welcome to the Pirate's Eye Podcast, produced by the Seton Hall Alumni Engagement and Philanthropy Department. I'm your host, Bianca Velez, Class of 2010 alumna and Director of Alumni Communication and Digital Engagement here at Seton Hall. Each month, I'll be sitting down with an alumnus to talk about their career, their life journey, and the role that Seton Hall has played in getting them where they are today, or continues to play. When facing life's challenges, Sabrina Troiani copes by kicking into action and giving back to others. So when one of her closest friends, Mirda Kapan, was diagnosed with breast cancer, she created Miles for Mirda. As she trained for the New York City Marathon, she raised money for cancer awareness on the platform that cancer can be beaten. But when her friend passed away just weeks before the marathon, Sabrina felt like giving up. In this episode, she shares with us her story of friendship, tremendous resilience, and the power of community. Take a listen. Sabrina, thank you so much for joining me on the Pirate's Eye podcast today. The story that caused me to reach out to you to bring you on the show is both a heartbreaking and heartwarming story about you and your best friend, Mira Kapan, who also graduated from Seton Hall. And it's a story that embodies servant leadership, something so important to the fabric of our university, as well as the power of community and of friendship. And I absolutely want you to take our listeners on that journey. But first, what is the road that led you to Seton Hall and what was your college experience like? Well, um, I'm from Staten Island, and as I started senior year of high school, I started to look at several different colleges and universities, and I immediately fell in love with Seton Hall. The campus itself um, took my breath away. It was exactly what I dreamed a college would look like. The big gates, the big opening, the high buildings. Um, And at the same time, I loved that the classes were small, and it really is just a a pretty place. I took my parents, and they both loved it, and um, there was no need to look any further. I actually remember the day that I said, oh, my God, that's where I want to go uh, for the next four years. It was pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to be a TV news broadcasting major, and uh, that went out the window my first year there when they said that most TV news broadcasters start in Buffalo at 3 a.m. And I'll never forget <laughs> my my professor. I can't remember her name, but boy, did I, I love her. She said to me, can you stand up? It was persuasive speaking. And I was in the front of the room and I gave my thing. And then she said, and I said, I just can't wait, you know, for my friends to see me on Channel 4. And she said, Channel 4? And she said, no, no, no. Most people graduate, they have to start in Buffalo. At 3 a.m., I said, oh, no, I'll have to stop in, you know, career services and change my major at the end of the week. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not 3 a.m. material. I'm more like 6 o'clock news, like, you know, night nights. And um, it was, Seton Hall was amazing. Um, I pledged a sorority the spring of my freshman year. I made some really good friends that uh, 30, oof, that hurts, 30 years later, I am still friends with. Um, and one of my very first friendships there was Rob Capan, 
who um, I met the last week in September when school started in September, he was a senior and I was a freshman. And here we are 31 years later, um, still friends. I, my time at Seton Hall, I did work as an undergrad. I worked for um, Dean Berg, who was in the admissions office. So I worked there for three years. Um, I had a bunch of different bosses while I was there, answered phones, did data entry, all kinds of fun stuff, and got to meet a lot of great um, undergrad and grad students. And then for my graduate degree, I worked for Dr. Hurley, who was in charge of, and Dean DiPiero, who was um, in charge of the School of Education and Counseling Psychology. So I also did my um, two years there for grad school. So I guess you can say it wasn't that much fun, but um, it did work out in, in the end with all my degrees. I like to see them hanging on the wall. Teen Hall is a great place. Um, I have four children and we wear sweatshirts and we hit two Teen Hall games a year for the last uh, 15 years. And they love it. They're all pirates. We're all pirate fans. <laughs> and I think it was just um, a great university. I've gone back for the uh, family day in October a couple of years. I ran two or three races with Seton Hall uh, since I graduated. Um, I've been back for a couple of things, and I still get excited and still spend $100 at the bookstore every time I'm there. <laughs> I love the memory trip of Seton Hall, and I, I think it's so funny the way that you changed professional career choices based on that class, but it sounds like it really worked out with the two degrees that you have from Seton Hall. And you, t you talked a little bit about your sorority. What sorority is it that you became a part of? I was a part of Phi Delta Pi. That's something I never thought I would do, but I wouldn't change it for the world. It was a, <laughs> it was a great experience and um, it only made me grow. I'm not really a, a follower. I'm really a very strong individual and walk my own path, beat to my own drum, always have. And um, it was great to be a part of something bigger because it wasn't just the sorority. It was the whole Greek life at Seton Hall. It was the whole, just, just everything. It gave you a lot, a lot more opportunity to meet more people. And for me, that's always important, not is, is to open doors to meet more people, learn about different things, go different places, and they won't all necessarily be all your best friends, but just, just open up to new things, and that's what I liked about it. Right, that's awesome, and I think it really speaks to the power of the relationships that are formed in college, and you mentioned Robert Capan, who is Mirda's husband, who, when we started this conversation, was mentioned. Tell me how that relationship formed with your friend Rob. Somehow we were introduced to each other. And I think I am that girl that um, was always everyone's best friend. I still see myself as that person. And we really became friends and he graduated that June. So he was actually gone. And I stayed friends with him um, all three years afterwards. I mean, he came to my house for dinner. I went to his house. We're just strong. It was like a brother-sister kind of thing. You know, sometimes I make a joke with him and I say, I don't really know if you were my friend or you were my friend because I had 150 female friends. <laughs> and they'll still to this day be like, yes, Sabrina, that probably had something to do with it. And I'm like, well, what did I get out of you? Nothing. Until he met Murda. And then that all changed. 
So he actually met her. He started dating her when I graduated. When I was a senior and I graduated, it was actually um, a story that I would love to share that we used to go to the Meadowlands Fair every year. I think it's in July. Mm-hmm. And um, he brought her to the fair. You know, he wanted to sit down and say, this is murder. This is Sabrina. And I remember her telling me like a month later, um, I really don't like you. And I was like, you have to like me. And she was like, no, I really don't. And I was like, everybody likes me. I was like, I can't imagine why. And she was like, well, why did Rob have to, you know, make a big deal out of introducing you to me? And I was like, I don't know, maybe because I'm his good friend and you're his good girlfriend. But I do remember telling her in the first two weeks, I'm like, you are going to love me and we are going to be best friends. And she was like, okay. And um, so I guess I was right because she did love me and we were, you know, the closest of friends. And they, that was 93. And I think they got married at 96. So I was right behind them. I was not, um, I was single for a long time after they were married. So it was them two and me. I would go along for the ride. So that was kind of fun. And um, I wonder if she would say the same thing. now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just funny looking back. You just remember certain things. But yes, that's how yeah. we became friends. And this actually you starts to segue back to what I mentioned at the start of the conversation. So I reached out to you because I heard about a story called Miles for Myrda. And it really was an impactful story and a strong initiative that I felt I needed to learn more about. So can you talk to me a little bit about what that initiative was and how it came to be, really? If you don't mind a couple of tears. I don't get through this story laughing as much as I was just previously laughing. Yes. (laughs) So um, I've been running for years, and it is my nature to deal with bad things by giving back. That is what I do. I like to feel like I'm making something good out of anything bad that can happen. So um, the races that I ran all the way from like 2013 on in my neighborhood or local neighborhoods, I always raised a little bit of money for cancer. I always chose cancer because... I felt like it was a disease where we needed to raise awareness. I felt like women, you know, needed to feel like they were not alone and show unity. And if they saw people that weren't personally touched by it, trying to help the cause, it would just give them a little glimmer of hope. That was always why I chose that cause. So when she was diagnosed in um, 2014, uh, it certainly rocked her world, but it, it definitely rocked my world. Um, I I was really bad for a long time. When she started her chemotherapy, um, she was very, very positive. She never had a negative thing to say. She never complained about being sick. She never complained about not feeling well. And um, when she lost her hair, I remember that being... I remember that shaking me like for a good week. I remember her saying, when I see you the next time, my hair is going to be gone. And when I did see her, I had to hold back the tears and it, 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 it shook me. It rocked me in a way I, I could not explain seeing somebody, which is 
what most cancer patients have, a loss of hair. But just seeing her like this, and I had never seen her like this, was extremely upsetting. Right. Now, was she diagnosed with breast cancer? She was diagnosed with breast cancer, no stage number. I remember asking her what stage it was in. I don't believe her doctor did any kind of staging. But by the end of 2015, she was in remission. She had finished it, and she looked great. She acted great. She was clean for all of 2016 and 17. In 2018, it came back. It had metastasized to, I believe, a lymph node, um, a spot on the backbone, and a spot down below, not in an organ, but close to. Okay, so when it had come back with those three spots, also I remember when she told me she had the scan, and she said this all, everything lit up. And I had to go do my own research because, you know, you can't ask the person who's going through this every question. Everything she said, I had a question, so I would write it down. And uh, she went through the second round very gracefully. And I had run a race that year in 2018, just a four mile, 4.1 mile, and donated the money in her name. But then when 2019 rolled around, um, I was considering running the New York City Marathon. I wasn't quite sure that I could actually run the marathon, but I knew that I wanted to do it. Uh, And I had mentioned it to her early. And as her cancer got worse, we never spoke about the cancer getting, getting her. She was always so positive, always so certain. And uh, it appeared the doctors were as well. So I decided that I was going to run the marathon. I tried to come up with a couple of names and then I just figured I was running a lot of miles and it was for murder. So miles for murder came up pretty catchy. And then um, I ran for an organization that is called Stomp the Monster. Their money all goes to cancer to families directly afflicted with cancer um, to help them during hospital stays and food and all that good stuff. Um, And I had mentioned it to Murda and she loved the idea. And so I signed up and I started training. And after I started training, um, I became known as this person who uh, everybody knew as like the marathon girl. Um, I have red hair and everybody would be like, is, is that the redhead that's running the marathon? I was like, that's me. <laughs> and it was, it was really funny because, you know, I was never really, I would just do my own thing at the gym and I, I sweat a lot. And obviously I know everyone's listening to this, but I sweat a lot. And when you, you know, go from running five miles to running 13 miles, you realize, wow, I really wasn't sweating that much at five miles. So right. I would start running and start, you know, had a training and interval schedule, and I followed it for six months. And when I was up to like 17 miles a day was about August. And in August is when her cancer spread to her lungs. And her cancer spreading to her lungs was, um, she, it happened so fast. It went from murder's doing great to it spread to her lungs. And then she started a bunch of treatments. She had to have the fluids drained. She had to go in the hospital. They filled a two liter bottle. So many different phrases stay in my head that I remember getting from her, pieces from her, pieces from her husband. 
And I got to visit her in August in the hospital up in Morristown. And she was awake and good. Um, I don't think she knew it was terminal. It was the first, the second week in August, I guess I was there around the 6th, 7th, and 8th of August. And I believe they pretty much told her on the 10th that her body was filling up with fluid. By the 11th of August, it stays in my head how, how one would remember the date because I actually lost my own sister on the 11th of August. Mm. So Murda always calls me on the 11th of August to tell me, I'm thinking of you and thinking of Regina. And she texted me on the 11th of August. And I said, look at this. She even texted me today, remembering um, that it's Regina's anniversary. And instead it said, I just want you to know that I am foregoing any more treatment. Um, I've decided that uh, the chemo is not working and whatever quality of life I have left, I want to live happily. And, but I, I didn't write back because my mind was racing and I wanted to go there. I just saw her. I had a million questions and I didn't know who to ask, but I read it over and over again. And I gave her a day before I responded and I said, Murphy, you know, you have to keep trying. Um, our children are the same age. They were born the same year. She has a 16-year-old. I have a 16-year-old. She has a 12-year-old. I have a 12-year-old. Um, the 16-year-olds were born five days apart. So wow. We pregnant exactly the same time. And um, when I finally got a hold of her on the phone, she said, um, you know, I've, I've made peace with this decision. And I said, you, you can't have peace with this decision. And then I realized, like, who, who am I telling her she can't have peace, Sabrina? Leave, leave her alone. And I think that's the actual last conversation we had because I, I fumbled on my words. Um, the emotions took over, and, and I was grief-stricken. And I figured she had more to take in than I did. And I guess within the next two or three days, they told her that it was under two weeks. So she had a lot of loose ends to tie up. And I was still telling her about the marathon. <laughs> so I had told her, I said, listen, I'm running this marathon, um, which became a huge part of where I live, by the way. I know I'm going from detail to detail, but it became a huge part of, of, of my being. Um, I met probably 250 new people that I didn't know before I was running the marathon. Uh, people were really walking up to me with a $20 bill and sponsoring me, asking me, are you the one doing the marathon for cancer? I said, yes. How's your friend doing? And I would say, you know, very good, not so good, terrible. And, um, and then the month of September was a, another story, but I had collected, I think I raised close to $7,000 in total. And I stopped collecting after she died. It didn't seem it didn't seem logical anymore to ask for money because part of my platform was raising awareness that this is not a death sentence. And that's what she made me believe, that not everybody who has cancer dies. People beat it. Um, the treatment works. And um, so the whole time that I was doing this, this was my platform was it's not a death sentence. Um, breast cancer doesn't have to be the end, you can beat it, you're not alone, the, the family goes through it, the friends go through it, all kinds of different different ways to, you know, bring my, 
bring the community together and give my friend a place to feel uh, safe. That's what I wanted to do. And then in the last couple of days, I guess she was uncomfortable. And they gave her a lot of um, morphine because our text messages and our phone calls got a little strange. But I did, I did want to tell her how I felt. And I never really had to do that before. Um, I was waiting for them to say I could come. But uh, I guess they kept it to immediate family. And then so I was told to let her know. So I sent her a beautiful text message, you know, thanking her for her friendship and for, you know, loving me as she did and loving my kids and um, making the promises that I would make sure her kids were taken care of and that I would never forget them. And her parents are still alive. So I told her I would always look in on her parents and make sure they had what they needed. She said she was at peace. Uh, she had accepted that her life was short, but it was fulfilling. And she had everything she ever wanted in it. And she, those were her exact words. She said, my life is short, Sabrina, but I had so much joy. And I know that my kids are going to be taken care of because of all the people like you that loved me and that loved them. After that, we didn't really get to, she thanked me. We spoke about how we felt. And uh, she managed, even when I was at my worst, to still, you know, check in on me. I thought to myself, gosh, she has a week left to live. And she's worried about me. She mm -hmm. has a husband and parents and beautiful kids. Mm -hmm. So. She wound up um, dying on the 21st of August, which still feels like it was yesterday. Mm -hmm. Still so many, like, how could it be a year and a couple months already? Um, and uh, she was just the most beautiful person. She really was. She was the most beautiful person. Uh, I gave up my marathon for the next three weeks, and... Um, from the day she died till I think it was day 24, I didn't do a blessed thing. And then I ran into somebody who asked how I was doing and said to me, you know, Sabrina, you collected a lot of money and a lot of people are counting on you. And I was like, no, no, I made a deal with my friend. She promised that she would be on the couch and I would be running 26 miles across in the boroughs and, um, she said to me, uh, the person said to me, you know, you have to do it for murder. She wouldn't want it any other way. You have to make her proud. And uh, so I gave myself a little time to be down. And then I said, I'm going to do this. And I continued to train and I went back to my schedule. Um, although I did think I was going to need an ambulance a couple times. <laughs> through, through the five boroughs, I was sure that one of the medic stations that I stopped at, I got sprayed everywhere. I got sprayed in all kinds of places. I was like, down, up, rub it in. I was crazy. And I was thinking I was at mile 17. And I wanted to stop. I just pulled over to the side. And, and I, I saw the back of everybody's shirts. This is what uh, motivated me. I didn't really have time. I never saw the marathon before. I watched it on TV. I never went. 
but I didn't really have time to look at anybody because you were just trying to run and you're running behind, I think there were close to 55,000 people. So there's always wow. people all around you. But at this one place I wanted to stop, I saw people's shirts that said running for my mother. And I mm. saw the people that were running for pancreatic cancer, running for Parkinson's. And then I also saw the people whose, whose shirt said running in memory of, and then it had a picture and I just had a breakdown. I mean, a good, uh, a good like four and a half minute hysterical crying where I just said, I'm done. I'm stopping at this mile mark. And then I read all the shirts and I said, you can't stop at this mile mark. Not only because will everybody be disappointed, but because no one will know where I am and I'll be stuck in the middle <laughs> I'll be stuck in the middle of, of I don't know where. I didn't know what <laughs> borough I was in, but I, I had passed Brooklyn and, and Queens, so I was somewhere between there and the Bronx. And I said, Sabrina, you know what? You have close to 10 miles left to go. Let's do this. I changed my phone. I put on some music that reminded me of murder. Um, I put it on, and I, I did the last 10 miles. And I don't think I was ever so proud of anything I did in my whole life. I, I really was. It was it was really an amazing, epic moment to cross that finish line, and it 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 felt really good. I know she was really proud. I know she was with me. Before this interview, you talked about how humbling of an experience it was when you realized the following that you had created, and the sense of community you felt from the support that yes. you were receiving. And yes, I did. And as a matter of fact, um, I I was in awe of the following that I had. I was in awe of, I, I always try to put myself in somebody else's place. So I was thinking to myself, if I was in the gym, because I go to the gym at the same time every day, I run, the same people know me, same people see me. But I collected from people that don't go to the gym with me, people that said, can you send me your website? People that would text me and say, I mean, I actually had a man at the gym walk up to me I don't, I, I am assuming after I put all the pieces together, his wife passed of cancer, but um, he handed me uh, $200 in cash. And I said to him, I can't take this. He said, put it towards your thing. And I said, no. And he said, I just want to thank you for what you're doing. He said, I think what you're doing is beautiful. And he said, that makes you a beautiful person. And your friend is very lucky. It was about two weeks before murder died um, that this happened. And I gave him back his money. I gave him the website. But, I mean, people from Seton Hall, from my sorority, people that I met my freshman year, people from grad school that I still see on Facebook that I don't even know that they actually know who I am, just that we were connected through Seton Hall, um, they really came together. And the next day, of course, I couldn't walk, and I was sitting in a nice cold bath with some Epsom salt all day. I got to look on social media. And I got to see 700 people following me running the race. And I got to see 700 people say congratulations. Wow. And uh, in the weeks after, you know, when I would go pick up Chinese food or Dunkin' Donuts or a slice of pizza, all the people that are part of this community were like, Sabrina, I tracked you for the marathon. I'm like, you did? They were like, you did great. And, and the text messages that came in for the four days after – and I was like, wow, all you people watched me? And they told me they were going to watch me. I just figured when Sunday came, they would have other things to do. But it really didn't. It was, it was a sense of, I did good. I was proud of myself. On, on all levels, I was proud 
of myself for finishing. I was proud of myself for starting. I was, I was just humbled to give back. I was humbled that so many people took time out of their life to support me and to care that I cared about my friends. That's how I really felt. Obviously, my family, my brothers, my sisters, those are givens, but there were just a lot of people that stepped out of the woodwork and the amount of inboxes and messages people sent saying, you inspired me for different things. Inspired me to exercise, inspired me to go to the gym. My mother had this and you inspired me to help take care of her. And I, you know, I had been divorced just in the months before, a year exactly to date before the marathon. So my life wasn't exactly, you know, copacetic, so to speak, for the two years before. So between going through that and Myrna being sick, I wasn't in the best place. And I think the marathon, although it was crazy how she wasn't here for it, it, it made me whole again. It just made me realize that I had purpose and that a lot of people had a lot of faith and the word inspiration. Um, a lot of people told me I gave them strength. A lot of people that are a lot more religious than me told me that, that my good works were, were bringing people praise and that people felt good to be my friend. And, you know, we all need that every now and again. You don't get that on a daily basis, you know. Absolutely. You don't get that feeling from people for no reason. So it, it felt really good. Sabrina, thank you so much for opening up and being vulnerable in this episode and for kicking into action uh, during hard times. I commend you on that and I admire it. And again, thank you so much for sharing it and for being a proud Seton Hall graduate. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Sabrina is just one of more than 100,000 alumni who exemplify what great minds can do with a Seton Hall education. If you know of a fellow pirate that we should have our eye on, don't hesitate to email us at alumni at shu.edu. Make sure you stay up to date with all of the virtual engagement opportunities being offered to Seton Hall alumni. Visit the Hall Hub at www.shu.edu slash Hall Hub. Share the news of this podcast with your friends and follow at Seton Hall alumni on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Hope you join us for the next episode of the Seton Hall Pirate's Eye podcast.